Welcome to Everyday Strong, the podcast that teaches parents, teachers, and other caring adults how their everyday loving actions can help their teens cope with anxiety and depression. And now, here's our host, United Way of Utah County's Program Director, Michael Ann Gardner. Today I'm talking with Wendy, who is a NAMI mentor, and part of her job is to help people navigate tricky situations, such as this question that we got um, about what do we do if you have a child who has severe depression, but they, you know, you just like can't find a psychiatrist or you don't know where to find a psychiatrist. This is all um, very overwhelming, and this is what Wendy spends a lot of her time doing. So I'm excited to talk to her today. Thanks for being here, Wendy. You're very welcome. I'm excited to talk with you. Yeah, so let's start with a really basic question. Um, there's a lot of different terms out there, right? There's, there's therapists, there's psychiatrists, there's psychologists. Then you just have like your regular doctor. What's the difference between all of these? Okay. All right. Um, your family doctor, someone you can go to for generally for health needs. So if a child breaks its arm or uh, has flu or something like that, you, you go to your family doctor. Now, a, a mental health professional it's been explained this way. If your child has a heart problem, you would go to a heart specialist. If they have a mental illness or potential uh, mental disorder, you want to go to a brain specialist. So that would be anything from a therapist, a psychologist, a psychiatric nurse, which is not a term that a lot of people know about, or a psychiatrist. Yeah, that's that's helpful. So, um, when do I need, like, let's say, like a psychiatrist or um, a psychiatric nurse versus a psychologist, for example? Okay. So, a psychologist, the main things that they do are they can do mental health evaluations including psychological evaluations and testing. So, for example, uh, learning disabilities. Those aren't necessarily, you know, depression and anxiety and the typical mental illnesses that we think of. But those are things that psychologists deal with quite frequently. Now, a therapist... Well, I'm going to start at the bottom here. Sure, so yeah. Th- th- therapist, they can do mental health evaluations. Uh, they do various therapeutic techniques depending on their training. So there's lots of different kinds of therapy. You know, some people have heard of play therapy and cognitive therapy. There's there's many modalities out there of therapy. So that's what a therapist does. And like I said, they can also evaluate your child and let you know, I think your child is, is suffering from clinical depression. This is not just a 
short-term thing they're going through, I would recommend that you perhaps see a psychiatrist or APRN, which is short for Advanced Practice Registered Nurse. So that would be your psychiatric nurse. And uh, those are the people who can prescribe medications. So therapists can talk to your child and work through issues that way. They can evaluate your child for further assessment. And then a psychiatric nurse or a child psychiatrist are the ones who can prescribe medications for your child. A psychologist cannot prescribe medications. They can do therapy and stuff. I've, I've never taken any of my kids to a psychologist, but I do know some very good ones who are out there. Yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes I think, um, you know, people, you know, they hear, for example, like a psychiatrist is like, an, they often have an MD you know, degree. So the same degree as a doctor. So that's, that's better than a therapist or something. But I think, you know, it's important to keep in mind that, you know, that it's not necessarily that, you know, one is better. It just depends on what the needs are of your child. It's kind of what I hear you saying. And I, I'm curious, actually, about, about what you said in particular about how you never took your child to a psychologist. I'm, I'm curious what your experience was like when you first started trying to find help for your your kid like was that really confusing <laughs> oh yeah um yes it, it started with our oldest child who is now 31 and doing very well I want to put that out there mm -hmm. um, but when she was 12 she literally overnight went from one person that her teacher said they wished they had 20 of her in their classroom to a completely different person. She acted different. She dressed different. She smelled different. Wow. Uh, you know, really, really, uh, all these things. And we were clueless. Her, her dad and I, you know, she was our oldest. She was our first teenager. And we, you know, had heard that teenagers can be kind of strange. And so we just thought, okay, this is maybe what teenagers do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but it went on. It went on for a while. And one of the, the signs when you know something is really wrong is when it starts disrupting your, mm -hmm. your child's life and your, your family life. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it really disrupted ours. We couldn't really have a family meal anymore. She refused to speak to her dad. She didn't speak to her dad for six months. Wow. You know, uh, there's just something, the thing that he said that just upset her. Mm -hmm. And to this day, you know, she's like, I really don't quite know why I did that, but uh, anyway, so so we were we were confused. We didn't know what to do, and we finally decided we would try finding a therapist. So we went through our church 
and did it that way. Uh-huh. And and that's how we found a therapist. And my daughter hated that therapist. Uh-huh. Uh, we can discuss how to find the right person for your child later, but she hated that therapist. But that was the therapist who recommended that we see a psychiatric nurse uh-huh. so that our daughter could get on medications for her depression. And then that psychiatric nurse was the person we stuck with basically for the next six years. Wow. With Yeah, she was really awesome. And the only time my daughter actually encountered a psychiatrist as a child was when she was hospitalized for a couple of weeks and that was that was our the beginning of our journey mm-hmm. wow yeah that sounds incredibly stressful and, and really really intense um and i think these are the kinds of situations that make parents feel very helpless in some extent, because you are a little helpless, like, you know, your child is going through this thing and, and you, you're there to support, but, you know, you, you don't have any control over what's happening. Yes. Yeah. So I do want to actually ask follow up to that. Like, um, you know, I, I think um, related to this, I have had people ask me, like, what do I do? Like if my child feels like therapy is a scam, <laughs> like they just don't, they, they're just angry at the thought of going to therapy. They won't go. Um, you know, part of what I hear in that is it's a little bit about personality fit, but what, what advice would you have? Okay. Well, well, my daughter said that she would go to therapy kicking and screaming. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Sometimes it was almost that bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we had we had therapy visits where basically the therapist came out to the car and talked to our daughter through the car window. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I've learned a lot since then. And it really is important to at least try to... Find a therapist that your child will click with. Yes. And that can be really hard. Uh, so one thing you, you want to look for is a therapist that is specialized in working with children mm-hmm. or adolescents. Um, you can get a list from your insurance. Or uh, there is a, a really great website that I like and recommend all the time to people, and that is uh, www.psychologytoday.com. So psychologytoday, all one word, dot com. And on that, you can go and you can search out therapists that uh, by by all sorts of criteria, you can search for therapists who treat children and adolescents. You can search for therapists who take your insurance. You can take search for therapists who maybe work on a sliding fee scale. Uh, you know, all, all, all that kind of stuff. And it comes up usually with a picture and 
the person's treatment philosophy and then all the different areas they specialize in and, and all that sort of stuff and get your child involved. Say, remember, you are the parent. So you can say, you're going to therapy. That is not a choice. But here are some choices. Look at these individuals. Which one would you prefer to go to? And so that gives them some control over their situation because they are not feeling in control of their lives at all. And that gives them some control. And, uh, you know, if that person doesn't work out, keep going. Keep going. Uh, eventually, you may run out of people, and then, then that may <laughs> be a problem. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, at least try and find someone that, that your child is willing to talk to. And, and you can, if you have a sense of your child, like, okay, my child really likes people who are warm and fuzzy, or my child prefers people who are kind of sassy and spunky and will stand up to them, you know, um, you can consult with the therapist before you actually take your child to them. Uh, most therapists will allow you know, kind of a, a free phone consultation with potential new clients. So, uh, you know, you can meet with the therapist and see if that person, you know, get a sense of what they're like and if your child would fit with them. Same thing for all the other providers. Um. You know, something that we talk about a lot within Everyday Strong, you know, this, this program and this podcast is we talk a lot about, um, you know, meeting children's needs, their, their need to feel safe, their needs for connection, their needs for, you know, confidence and esteem and regard and how much like that, that does build resilience. And one thing I always love is um, one of our founders was a child psychiatrist, you know, who sees like really extreme cases, like what you're describing with your daughter. And, you know, he talks about how he does this, you know, across the spectrum of, of mental health, you know, experiences, you know, even with just sort of a garden variety, anxious, sad, all the way up to, you know, much more severe cases. And what I hear you saying when you talk about like involving your child is like that seems to me to be so relational, right? I think it's easy to see mental health as just like this problem to be fixed and we just got to get our kid into the doctor and the right doctor will fix them. But so much of the power I think that can happen here is like, what is my relationship to my child? How do I navigate through that experience with them? Um, and maybe even partner to the extent that that's appropriate for their functioning and the, the relationship. I'm so grateful I get to be here with you twice a month talking about these big questions and concerns. And I'm especially grateful that our sponsor, Revere Health, makes it possible for us to do this work. We'll be back with more of this interview right after this break. What does it mean to offer the best health care? At Revere Health, we believe it means improving patient health outcomes, keeping costs affordable for you and your family, and being your partner in healthcare decision making. 
With 30 medical specialties, including family medicine, and over 100 clinics throughout Utah, Revere Health is here for you. Revere Health, your partner in health, your partner for life. Find out more at reverehealth.com. Tell us a little bit more about NAMI and what you can help people with if they were to call you. Okay. So NAMI, and I am biased, you mm-hmm. know, I think NAMI is the most awesome thing ever. I agree. Uh, uh, mostly because I love the word free, and that is what <laughs> all, of our, all of our offerings are, mm-hmm. free. Uh, that ranks up there next to the word coupon in my <laughs> life. And so... So we have free classes and free support groups, both for individuals who are living with a mental health condition and then separately for family members and or friends of individuals who have a mental health condition. So on the parental side and the child side, we have two things that both my daughter and I have been involved with. Um, We have a class called NAMI Basics, and that is for parents who have children under the age of 18, because once they turn 18, they're adults, and all bets are off, sorry. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. um, under the age of 18, you can take the NAMI Basics course as a parent and right now, all of our all of our offerings are online because of of the pandemic, and so you know you can be in any part of the state as long as you are out of the state, even as long as you have computer access. And NAMI Basics was wonderful for me in not only learning things that I did not know but in helping me with the feelings that I had in what we were going through as as a family, as mm-hmm. parents, and connecting with other parents who were going through the same things. Mm-hmm. So that was wonderful. And then on the child side, well, more adolescent, because we, we have a class called Progression that, we actually created here at NAMI Utah. Um, our other classes and, and support groups are come down from the national NAMI headquarters. So any, any NAMI in the country does it just like we do. But NAMI progression is something we created, and it's for adolescents from 13 to 18, and it's you know, who are dealing with mental health issues, whether it's anxiety, depression, or something else. And it's usually more than one thing because no one just gets diagnosed with one thing. There's always a combination, it seems like. But it's taught by young adults who themselves experience being a, a younger person with a mental health disorder. So that's what all of our programs are. We do it on a peer-to-peer basis. We're not professional therapists or social workers or anything like that. I'm a family member, so I have that perspective to offer when people call me. Uh, My daughter, 
you know, it was went through it as a child and an adolescent. And so she took the progression class and then became a progression teacher. And it's, so those are things that I would really strongly recommend, again, since they are free um, and very accessible. So that's what we do. And, and also as a mentor, I take phone calls from people. So I get a lot of phone calls from parents and occasionally from, from adolescents, hmm. you know, who are, are dealing with things, uh, but mostly from parents and, you know, saying, uh, we're experiencing this and I'm not quite sure what to do. And so I can say, okay, you start here, go to this point, take care of that, then go to the next point, and then, you know, depending on what happens, you're going to follow this path or you're going to follow that path. And, and I listen to them because sometimes, most of the time, you feel very, very lonely in what you're mm-hmm. going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's where like, even like our adult needs come in, our, our own needs to feel safe, connected, confident. And it sounds like you can really help people with that. So if they want to reach you, how do they do that? Or you or another person in your same role? Okay. So we have a, a our NAMI phone number is 801-323-9090. And then you're going to go through a phone menu and you want to push option four. If you push anything else, you know, you're not going to get anyone because everyone's working from home except for us Mm. mentors. So um, 323-9900 option four, that will get you to either myself or one of the other mentors in the office. That's awesome. And we'll drop that as well in the show notes. So if you weren't able to catch that, um, you can do that as well. And um, remind me what your website is. It is www.namiut.org. So N as in Nancy, A as in Apple, M as in Mary, I as in Igloo, U as in Utah, T as in Tom, .org. Perfect. Those are both great places, I think, to start. And I think what I love about them, I mean, I think, you know, in my experience, group therapy, I think sometimes can kind of feel a little overwhelming, like, are people going to be judging me? But, you know, you get so much um, wisdom from people who are in the same place as you, whether that's from talking to like a mentor like you or in a group, in a group setting. I think it's so powerful. Um, and it's definitely, you know, it's, it's different than one-on-one therapy but it has its place for sure. Yeah, I think especially for for teenagers mm-hmm. because they don't have the same kind of lived experience that we do mm-hmm. as old older adults. You know, we've had our hearts broken and we know that we survive and mm-hmm. you know and different things like that. But teenagers, they think, oh my gosh. There's no one else in this world that's yeah. feeling like I do right yeah. now. And, and, and it's going to be this way forever and all this stuff. 
and it's nice for them to to hear from other people in their age group that oh yeah i'm feeling this way too yeah not alone yeah um, I want to talk for a moment about kind of like stopgap measures, you know, in addition to something like like that. Um, you know, when, when people come and ask me this this question about, you know, my child is, you know, having these problems and either I can't get into a therapist or they won't go to therapy, I, I think a lot about sort of like stopgap measures, right? And for me, I always start at the bottom of the pyramid, you know, physical needs, um, safety needs. Can you talk me through that for a second? Like, what's sort of like the bare minimum? Like, I I guess always whenever I'm an emer- I'm like in an emergency, I start thinking, okay, stop trying to like you know have your child be totally functioning the way they used to be, you know, six months ago. Like, what's the minimum we need to be doing and caring for when it comes to? Let's start with physical needs. What we, what should we be doing there? Okay. So like like sleep, you know, that kind of thing. Well, ideally, you know, you would want them to be getting the sleep they need because sleep is crucial to to how you feel mentally. Mm-hmm. But you don't always have control over that. If mm-hmm. a person has insomnia, they have insomnia. Yeah. Um, but you can at least... Oh, well, you know what? One thing that I found out that I didn't know about before, and we were, again, this goes back to a a problem my daughter was experiencing. When she was in high school, she had gotten uh, mono Mm. twice within a six-month period. And so she was dealing with the mental health issues, and yeah. now she had a physical health issue. Mm-hmm. And it was trying to get her out of bed in the morning for her senior year was like pulling teeth. And and they make them go so early when mm-hmm. they really shouldn't. Mm-hmm. But it was, and I finally, she had a very good guidance counselor that I spoke with frequently and I said you know we're having this problem she's she's exhausted you know it's not that she doesn't want to come to school she loves school she just can't get herself up for that first class and her counselor said to me well have you thought of a 504 plan mm-hmm. and I was like a what? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I never heard of a 504 plan before. Um, we do teach about those in basics, but I hadn't taken the basic class at that point. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know. 504, what is that? Schools don't volunteer that information usually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and basically, you know, her counselor looked over her schedule, her credits and everything and said, she's got enough credits to drop a class, a first period class, sleep in a little extra, and then come to school. I'm like, well, now you tell me. Yeah. But that's what we did. We needed a letter from her doctor, her her family doctor, pediatrician, whatever, saying that she did have this physical need for the 504. And presto. It was done, and it was such a life-changing thing. 
just to have that first period class not exist anymore. Yeah, I love that example so much. And, you know, if you're not familiar, you know, to our listeners with 504 plans, you know, basically it's just a document that you draft up. It's like an agreement with the school um, where the school says, here's how we can accommodate what the need is. And then you say, here's what we'll do as the parents. And it's a really great way. And this is why I love using this everyday strong framework, right, is because I think we look at this and we're like, you know, my child is falling apart and I, I need a therapist and I need a psychiatrist. And, I need, you know, and you start thinking about all the things that you you know, you can't get into a therapist or you they won't go to a therapist. But when you think about needs, right? Like, okay, start with physical. That's a really creative solution. I'm I'm certain from the way you're talking about it, probably helped a lot. And, you know, you can kind of call in the troops in many, many different ways that might not always involve just a therapist. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, when you're talking about, okay, you're concerned about your child. Maybe they're actively suicidal mm-hmm. and there's not a bed open for them. We've right. had that happen. We've had that happen. We had a three-day period that we had to wait with an actively suicidal child. Mm-hmm. So my husband and I are not Utah natives. It's just our little small family here. And so we traded off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would be with the child pretty much every minute of the day. And then at night, my husband would sleep on the bedroom floor of that child's bedroom. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the way we did that round the clock, round the clock thing until they could be admitted to the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, if you have extended family that, that are here and, and you can pull in or a good group of friends, that kind of thing, man, use them. I'm, I'm jealous of you. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, probably don't have a f- all the time I would like to go into like, you know, safety plans and, and how we, how we keep our kids safe. Um, maybe we can do actually even like a whole other episode on that sometime. But there, there are a lot of, um, you know, like best practices of like, you know, how, how do you keep someone who is actively suicidal safe, you know? And I think there are very simple things like, you know, start thinking about however, however terrifying it is. Like, are my pills locked up? Are my guns locked up? Um, and those are all sorts of things that you can do that will help your child be safe. Again, even if you can't get into the service that you need. Yes. Exactly. And when you talk about keeping your pills locked up, I did not realize that Tylenol Mm -hmm. can be more deadly than overdosing on some psychiatric medications. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's all your pills. uh, Yes, all your pills. And if you don't need to have Tylenol in the house, don't have Tylenol in the house. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the, these are really heavy topics, and um, and it's it's hard and it's overwhelming, and you know, I I, I never want to seem like it's like a simple thing. And from what you've said from your story, it wasn't simple for you. But I also want parents to feel like, you know, there are things that you can do, and there are steps that steps that you can take. Um, so we're running, I think, you know, close to the end of our time. This has been so useful. Any other like advice or any other stories from your experience that you feel like people just really need to hear? I would tell you because 
again, a lot of people, their minds go to, oh, I need a psychiatrist for my child. Mm -hmm. Child psychiatrists are a rare, rare thing. Mm -hmm. We have very few of them in Utah, and they have waiting lists of... Months. I mean, six months uh, is what I've heard sometimes. uh, We're talking more like 18 months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and you can't wait that long. Yeah. That's why I really want to, you know, know that psychiatric nurses can do what Mm -hmm. a psychiatrist does. Mm -hmm. Now, if you need a child psychiatrist, then of course, you know, by all means do that. They, They may deal with the more complex things like uh, child childhood schizophrenia, mm-hmm. which is rare. Um, I remember talking with a, a mom who lived in southern Utah, and this has been a few years, but she lived in southern Utah. She was a single mom, and she had a a daughter under the age of 12 who had been diagnosed with childhood schizophrenia. And she said, what do I need to do to help my daughter? And I said, move to Salt Lake. Right. <laughs> right. That's, we have the largest concentration up here in the Wasatch Front mm-hmm. of child psychiatrists and the facilities that can treat children with these kinds of illnesses. And she said, okay, I'll do that. I'm yeah. like, really? <laughs> and she said, yeah, I will, I will get help. And I will move to Salt Lake for my daughter. Wow. And that's, that's pretty much what, what you almost have to do. They are very rare. So look at your other options. Know what the other options are that are out there. Yeah. And, and as we've discussed, I mean, you know, there's so many ways to tackle this issue, right? Like whether that's some kind of group therapy, you know, calling the NAMI mentors, um, figuring out kind of with the 504, like what you need to do, like, um, you know, I like I, I wish I there was just sort of some simple way to do it, but I do want to emphasize that there are supports out there. There are ways you don't have to completely figure this out by yourself if you can bring your creativity and your empathy to the table. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for your time today. It was a pleasure to talk to you. You're welcome. Anytime. If this episode resonated with you, you can check out our free resilience handbooks and online learning at www.everydaystrong.org. These tools tell you exactly what you can do to help the kids in your life feel safe, connected, and confident. You can choose to create a relationship with your children that will help them to learn to be resilient, regardless of the challenges life throws their way.